This is LBC with Matt Fry. Call 0345 6060 973. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Now, if you remember, just a few months ago, uh, America held what they call the midterm elections, where they elect the whole of Congress and a third of the Senate. And this is seen both, you know, it's, it's important because they're electing the legislative chamber that comes up with policy, but also it's seen as a kind of... Uh, weather vane into how the presidency is doing. And the Republicans were predicting all the way to Election Day a red wave. Red, of course, is the, the colour of the Republican Party that would sweep through Congress. And guess what? It was more of a trickle. Now, part of that trickle is that they get to elect the lead, the Speaker um, of the House of Representatives. This should normally be a formality, uh, even with a relatively slim majority like the Republicans achieved in the midterm elections. But it turns out to have been anything but a formality. And Kevin McCarthy, who is now, uh, as of tonight, the Speaker in the, of the House of Representatives, had to have 15 rounds of voting before he got there. What does that tell you about the state of the Republican Party What does that tell you about this man, Kevin McCarthy? What does it tell you about the future of American politics, whether the House of Representatives can even govern under these circumstances? Who better to explain all of it than our correspondent, Simon Marks, who's got up very early in the morning. Uh, Before we talk to Simon, let's just listen to this extraordinary audio from the House of Representatives of Kevin McCarthy. Listen. You know, my father always told me, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And now we need to finish strong for the American people. And now the hard work begins. Okay, I thought actually we were going to get the sound of the fisticuffs in the House of Representatives, which we didn't quite. But anyway, that was Kevin McCarthy. You're going to hear an awful lot more of him. Uh, Let's go to Simon Mark. Simon, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Well, um, that's putting it mildly, isn't it? Well, it is putting it mildly, and it is important, Matt, to underscore that this didn't just take 15 votes to bring Kevin McCarthy across the finishing line. Uh, It also entailed, as you intimated there, a near punch-up on the House of Representatives floor between Republicans after the 14th vote last night, which they all thought would be the one that brought Kevin McCarthy uh, finally to the Speaker's chair, uh, failed to yield the right outcome mathematically. And uh, so there was then intense pressure uh, placed on one particular congressman, Congressman Matt Gates of Florida, one of these uh, two, uh, one of two of the most sort of die-hard uh, far-right members of the Republican Party who had insisted they were never, ever going to get behind Kevin in uh, McCarthy for the speakership. Uh, Another member of Congress, Mike Rogers, senior Republican, uh, walked towards Matt Gates, and some of his colleagues uh, took the view that he was so angry there was a chance of a physical attack. And you can see uh, in the images from the floor of the House of Representatives uh, a third member of Congress physically holding Mr. Rogers back uh, from going after Matt Gates. Uh, There is going to be absolutely Absolutely no honeymoon for Kevin McCarthy following this bruising process. And it's perhaps been best summed up uh, by a Democrat member of the House of Representatives, Brendan Boyle, uh, who uh, serves as a congressman from Philadelphia, from Pennsylvania. Mm. And shortly after Kevin McCarthy made that triumphant speech uh, announcing the beginning of his speakership, uh, Congressman Boyle tweeted simply, Will Kevin McCarthy outlast Liz Truss? Uh, mm. It may well indeed be time to consider uh, purchasing a fresh lettuce because... Lettuce, I was going to say. The lettuce <laughs> makes a comeback. Yeah. No question. So just because... remind... 
Yeah, go so, ahead. so just remind us why this position is so important, because it's much more important than the Speaker, you know, yeah. bless you, Lindsay, the Speaker of the House of Commons. Yeah, there's no comparison between the, the role that Kevin McCarthy is now going to be occupying and Lindsay Hoyle's role. This is not the role where you get to shout order, order, and basically try to uh, get everybody behaving within the chamber. This is uh, second in line to the President after Vice President Kamala Harris, and it's the person uh, who, uh, under normal circumstances, determines the legislative agenda for the House of Representatives and determines specifically what pieces of legislation are going to be brought to the floor of the House for for debate and then for a vote. Now, Nancy Pelosi, who, of course, has just uh, lost uh, her position as Speaker of the House of Representatives because uh, the Democrats uh, lost control of the House to the Republicans, said last night that she fears that Kevin McCarthy has given so much away over the course of this week uh, to right-wingers in order to get uh, to the finishing line uh, that the country is now going to witness what she... Uh, called uh, the rapidly disappearing speakership, the increasingly mm. invisible power of the speakership. And there's no question that the concessions that Kevin McCarthy made to get this far have been absolutely massive and are going dramatically to undermine the power and the authority, the limited power and authority that he's got mm. after those 15 separate votes. And what were these concessions and why did you have to make them? Well, there's a whole raft of them that have been made since, uh, well, they were be being made, of course, throughout the holiday period behind the scenes, but then were being made uh, in the uh, chamber and in the offices of the House of Representatives all week. Uh, but here's just a handful of them. Kevin McCarthy has agreed that now a single lawmaker, any one of those more than 20 that initially were lining up against him, um, can vote to oust the Speaker, which would then, of course, spark a new series of votes for the Speaker. Now, up mm. until now, it has taken five members of the House of Representatives to spark that vote. He's had to dilute that down to simply one. Uh, he's committed, reportedly, to give the ultra-right-wing faction approval over a third of the seats on the Rules Committee. Now, why does that matter? Because the Rules Committee absolutely decides what legislation reaches the floor and sets the rules for each debate. I mean, through the archaic way in which, and you will know this uh, better than I do, Matt, the archaic manner in which Congress runs itself, there are separate rules that are, have to be voted on sure. for each particular bit of legislation that comes to the floor. Now... The conservative rump, the far-right rump of the Republican Party, are going to have enormous power over setting that. Um, he's agreed to um, uh, what, what is described as, uh, 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 when it comes to government spending bills, he's agreed to a set of changes that would allow any lawmaker to force votes on proposed changes. So that's going to delay uh, the passage of all sorts uh, of uh, contentious government spending bills. And the other thing that he's agreed to uh, is limits on the amount of money that his own political action committee is going to be permitted to spend uh, in races uh, across the country where Kevin McCarthy fancies funding challenges to some of these far-right yeah. Republicans. And as ever in American politics, it's often all about the money. And Kevin McCarthy controlled some pretty large purse strings that the far right worried he was going to use to set up primary contests against them in the future. He's now going to be limited from doing that.
So he's hardly a wilting liberal himself, even though he does come from the state <laughs> exactly. of California. But what what did the what did the Republican right like? so little about it. What do they hate so much about it? Well, well, that is precisely the question, isn't it? Because, I mean, Kevin McCarthy is a man who absolutely enabled Donald Trump's presidency mm. uh, and was regularly trekking to Mar-a-Lago uh, to get instructions from Donald Trump in the aftermath of that presidency. Uh, and uh, and so it is. it has been extraordinary to watch uh, the way in which his relationship with some of these far-right figures has literally atrophied in front of our eyes over the last few days and there's been a real division between them because i mean there's a congresswoman marjorie taylor green of georgia mm. who who is always involved in every single far-right cabal you could imagine up on capitol hill but, but this what didn't was they a, like about him there he was, was going to Mar-a-Lago to suck up to trump what didn't they like about very very thing? difficult to get an answer to that question what they want they say is change but they don't elucidate in meaningful terms what they mean by that mm. uh, they argue that that Kevin McCarthy is too much of an institutionalist, which again is an odd argument to make, given the extent to which he stood by Trump uh, during the Trump presidency. But what they really want, Matt, is power. They want influence. Mm. They see that the Republican Party didn't win that tsunami of support that Trump and others had predicted last November. They see a Republican Party with only a four-seat majority in the House of Representatives, and they realize that, you know, there are, you know, between one and a half and two dozen of them that they now suddenly are in the catbird seat that they have got the possibility to be kingmakers in a uh, house of representatives where kevin mccarthy on every single piece of legislation is going to need every vote that he can possibly get and so they have exercised influence to try and boost the power of their own political positions which is going to take the house of representatives down a path uh, where the far right fact has substantially more power uh, than perhaps any other faction within the Republican Party going okay. forwards. So is this another way of storming the Capitol, yeah. uh, which happened two years ago, almost to the day, orchestrated by Donald Trump? And how much is he involved in all this? Well, not necessarily orchestrated by Donald Trump, because one of the things that we witnessed this week was Donald Trump telling the far-right faction to knock it off uh, in two separate phone calls that he made to them. And he endorsed Kevin McCarthy for the Speaker's position. So one of the things that has also been revealed this week uh, is the uh, shrinking influence that Donald Trump has over some of these characters. Uh, but, you know, it was notable, of course, that this all wrapped up in the dying moments of January the 6th, the, the second anniversary of the violent insurrection by Donald Trump's mob on Congress. Uh, that insurrection managed to shut Congress down and halt all legislative business only for a matter of hours. This, uh, not an insurrection, but these moves by the far right mm. has shut Congress down for the entire week. They couldn't even get the members of Congress sworn in. Do you know, every single member of Congress this week had no security clearance. So they were all having to go through all the usual processes that everybody has to go through to enter the building because they hadn't officially been sworn in as members of Congress because that hmm. could only happen after the Speaker was elected. So they literally held the government hostage for 96 hours and they've shown every indication that they are more than willing to do that again in the months ahead head, raising fresh questions, not just about the health of American democracy, but
but actually about the governability of this country. Yeah. I suspect that for the next two years, we're going to be seeing this kind of rebellious behavior again and again and again with a willingness to shut down the business of government whenever this group of far right wingers decides it's in their interests to do so. Scary thought. One final uh, reflection from you, Simon, on Prince Harry. Has America sided with Prince Harry in this kind of data dump of indiscretions, or are there some Americans who are siding with the royal family? Or let me ask it this way, has the Prince Harry saga fed into America's culture wars? Well, there's no question that it is feeding into America's culture war, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that this weekend. The 60 Minutes interview with Anderson Cooper airs tomorrow night. Uh, I think there's an interview with Good Morning America that is also airing this weekend. And, of course, the book is going on sale here, as it is around the world, and I suspect uh, will prove quite popular with American readers. The polling shows that Americans, uh, up until now, have been more broadly supportive of Harry and Meghan uh, than people in the UK have been. Whether this is a turning point, I think, is unclear. Uh, many of these revelations that are contained in the book, of course, are being, uh, you, you know, they're, they're being consumed here as they are there. But whether mm. they have the same impact on the public here, I think, is a is a different is a, is a more complicated question to answer, uh, because you know they lack the context here of a full understanding of the nature of a constitutional monarchy. Uh, and they see it much more as a bit of a punching match between uh, two uh, sections of a dysfunctional family. And so mm. I think there's more soap opera to the way in which it's viewed from here than there is even from there. And it's going to be interesting to see how, the, how those numbers shift, if they do shift, uh, once right. everybody's consumed the interviews and read the book. In, in 20 seconds, does it damage the relationship between Washington and London that ostensibly has absolutely nothing to do with any of this? Um, I'm not sure that it damages the relationship with Washington and London, but it does raise some fresh questions uh, about issues like uh, security and who's going to pay for it for the royal couple. Yeah. Uh, because remember, Donald Trump uh, said as president that he wasn't going to pay for their security. So out in California, uh, they're absolutely having to foot their own security bill. Those claims about what went on in Afghanistan, of course, have an impact potentially uh, on the security picture. But in broad terms, I don't think politically. Right. It has much of a geopolitical impact. Okay. Simon Marks in Washington, getting up for us early. Happy New Year to you, and thanks very much for coming on the program. Up next, we're going to talk about COVID in China. I'm Matt Fry. This is LBC. The time is 12.48.